Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. One verse, just one verse this morning. I want to read to you one verse from Mark chapter 9. It's verse 24. And I want to read just one verse this morning because I want this verse to settle deep into your soul this morning, to grow deep roots that might speak to our own experiences, that might speak to an experience we're going through that if for some reason and by some miracle we've not been through or are going through one of these experiences, likely we will. And this, these, this verse may resonate then. This verse may seem like it's full of confusion and complexity and contradiction, but I want to suggest this morning that the power of this verse is in its refreshing honesty, in its inspiring beauty, in its profound truth. So I invite you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to Mark chapter 9. I'll be panning back a little bit to invite you into the whole story, but I want to read just this one verse this morning as we, as we enter more deeply into God's Word. Hear these words from Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Follow along with your hearts and minds as I read. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe! Help my un." belief. The word of God for the people of God. We have been going into the wilderness this Lenten season. We've been going into the wilderness because, as I've shared before, we follow Jesus into the wilderness. The Lenten season is framed by the story of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, as recorded in Mark, Luke, and John's gospel. It's this moment as Jesus leaves the waters of baptism, having been called by God. It goes into the wilderness and then begins, on the other end of the wilderness, his public ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the love and grace and inclusion into God's family of all people beginning in Galilee and going all the way to Jerusalem and the cross. Between call and cross is the wilderness. And during this Lenten season, we've been exploring these wilderness moments, places that I'd like to suggest this morning are places in between. In between. We've explored struggle in between what has been and what is to come. We've explored vulnerability in between who we pretend to be and who we're called to be. And this morning, I want to invite you into the wilderness of doubt. Doubt is also a place in between. In my house, uh, recently, we've been uh, uh, helping a couple of kiddos, a kindergartner and a second grader, learn to spell. So we've got lists of spelling words that we're working through, and I'm discovering just how crazy the English language is. It is wild. It doesn't make sense at times. Random letters appear that do weird things, and we see that today in the word doubt. There's a silent B. A silent B? Doubt. The word doubt comes from a Latin word, and we have another word that we might know a little bit better, the word double. And both doubt and double start with D-O-U-B. They come from the same Latin root. They mean two. 
Doubt simply means to be of two minds, to be between two thoughts, two ideas, two ways of understanding, or perhaps more than just two, but at least two. Doubt is a place in between. And unfortunately, unfortunately, doubt has gotten quite a bad rap. You probably heard me say this over and over and over again. For those of you who've heard me preach for years, perhaps I've said it too much for you, but I feel like I need to say it again. In fact, one theologian, Douglas John Hall, writes that perhaps one of the greatest responsibilities of the minister is to preach with regularity that doubters are welcome here. That there is a place in the life of the church for people in between including those who in their mind are wrestling with questions and thoughts and ideas, with beliefs they've inherited and beliefs they're testing out in their own experience, with ideas that may have made sense in one context but were running into trouble in another, with doubt. And sadly, the church has gotten quite a bad rap when it comes to doubt. Because for some, it's the job of the church to tell you what to think and believe, and your job just to have the courage and gumption to do it. I'm glad to be a part of a church that that's not how we operate. That's not how we work. And it's reflected even in our invitation to membership. As new people join the church, we invite people to make this confirmation or affirmation of faith. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then this next sentence is so incredibly important. This next question, do you pledge to spend the rest of your days figuring out just what that means? Because if my own experience is any indication, what that meant when you were five or 15, or 55, might look a little bit different. Who you experience God to be at 5, or 15, or 55, or 85 might be a little bit different. The, the ideas we have when we're young begin to take on different meaning and different shape and different direction as we grow, and the life of faith is no different. Doubters are welcome here because we'll find, we'll find the ideas, the beliefs, that we inherited, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we read about in the Bible will take on different meaning and different context and different direction as we explore them and as we experience the world. Doubters are welcome here because your ideas don't save you. Your ideas aren't the end-all, be-all. God doesn't invite us to be know-it-alls. God invites us into a life very different than that. A life we see reflected in this moment of raw honesty in Mark's gospel. In the story, we, um, uh, we actually had a guest preacher a few weeks ago in February, a few weeks ago now, a month ago in February, who preached, um, who preached on the story of the transfiguration. Jesus goes up a mountain and he takes James and Peter and John with him. Uh, we might call them the A-team, the inner circle. He takes his three besties up there to the top of the mountain and they get the experience of seeing Jesus transfigured and transformed. And as they're coming back down the mountain, back to the, I guess you'd call them the B-team, the other disciples who didn't get the privilege of going up the mountain, uh, they find there's this crowd that's gathered and the disciples have been trying, the ones who were left behind have been trying to heal and continue the ministry of Jesus and they've run into a bit of a problem. His father brings his son to them who's been plagued by an evil spirit and we might recognize some of the symptoms as um, almost like epileptic seizures. He's convulsing in violent ways and he'll be thrown to the ground and he'll foam at the mouth and he'll grind his teeth and other just horrible things to imagine watching a child do, watching your child do. And he brings the child to the disciples and says, will you heal him? And they try and they can't. 
And so the man comes to Jesus and says, listen, I, I brought my son to you to, to you, to your followers, and they couldn't do anything. And, and so then the followers bring the son to Jesus, and it starts to happen. And Jesus, I think with compassion, says, how long has this been going on? And the father says for a long time, ever since he was a boy, and sometimes he'll fall by the fire, by water, and it's as if the spirit is trying to kill him. You can hear the pain in this father's voice. And he says, sir, if you can, if you can, can you make him well? And Jesus, maybe he's just in a mood. I don't know. Maybe he's just in a mood. He's disappointed in his uh, followers who can't carry on ministry without him. He says, if I can, if you can, you say, if I can, Know that nothing is impossible for the one who believes. Almost like the, just an insult at this father. If you had just believed in God, if you had just believed, if you just had the right ideas about who God is and what it means to be a part of God's way, then, then maybe he would have already been healed. At least that's maybe one way to read it. We just need to have more faith. The father does this really honest, beautiful thing. Father says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm a man in between. I believe healing's possible for my son, but I've seen the ways that it hasn't worked time and time again, and I'm full of doubts, and I don't really know what to think or believe. Just help. And what we experience in that moment is that what this man believes is not the issue. And perhaps that wasn't the point of what Jesus was saying in the first place. Perhaps the one who believes is him, not the Father. That through Jesus, through his faith, healing is possible. Through his faithfulness in love to us, healing of many different kinds is possible. What we see in that moment with that Father there is a raw honesty where all he has to bring Jesus is his love for his son. And that's enough. What I love about this story is an invitation not to lean on our ideas or be ashamed about what we believe or disbelieve or know or don't know or question or are curious about or uncertain about. What I love about this story is that the love of this father for his son is enough for Jesus. And he invites us all to lean on love. When our ideas don't work or make sense, when the stories we've been telling ourselves may be founded on untrue presumptions, lean on love. When we're not sure what tomorrow will bring or what's going to happen next or what the meaning of this diagnosis or this illness or disease is, lean on love. When doubts fill our mind, and threaten to paralyze us. Love is enough. The invitation Jesus has for all of us this day is to get out of our minds and get into our hearts. Not because our minds don't matter, but because ideas begin to look different from a place of love. One of the beautiful things about doubt is that it is an entryway to love. It shakes us loose from some ideas that might have taken us in the wrong direction. 
It opens up space for us to learn and to grow and to question some of the stories we've told ourselves about ourselves, about others, about the world. It opens us in beautiful ways to pursue the truth wherever it takes us. It invites us out of our minds and into love, into our hearts, so that we can return to our minds anew, to discover something new. There's a quote from the philosopher and psychiatrist Rollo May. who writes that the most creative people neither ignore doubt nor are paralyzed by it. Neither ignore doubt nor are paralyzed by it. They admit it, explore it, and act in spite of it. And I submit to you that to act in spite of doubt is to lean on the power of love. Because love can take us somewhere new. Love can open the world and turn it upside down. And if we keep reading in Mark's gospel, we'll see that play out in Jesus' own life. Indeed, in his death. Indeed, in his resurrection. This morning, know that God doesn't invite you to be a know-it-all. God invites you into the humility and wilderness of doubt so that you can learn to become I love it all. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.